And last week, we saw how God calls his leaders to a life of service, a love for his sheep, and a loyalty to the Savior. We saw that in Paul. We saw God use Paul again and again to be his ambassador wherever he went, whether he was in chains or whether he was free. And wherever he led him, Paul was God's ambassador. He was the ambassador for Jesus. He finally got to Rome. It took him two years, but he finally made it there in God's timing. And remember, if we go all the way back to Luke's theme and what he was trying to get across to Theophilus, that sharing the good news of Jesus with the world is the theme of the book of Acts. It's the ministry, because when Jesus came, what did he come for? He came to bring hope. Right? He came to share the hope. And that work was continued, we saw, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. We saw the power of the church, which is the Holy Spirit. The mission of the church is worship, teaching, fellowship, and evangelism. And in chapters 1 through 7 of Acts, we saw how it spread the gospel in Jerusalem. But then in chapters 8 through 11, we saw it go into Judea and Samaria. And then in chapters 12 through 28 now, we've seen God take Paul over 10,000 miles. Think about that, guys. Back then, Paul traveled over 10,000 miles to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Why is it that in the American church, we won't take it across the street? And yet we say we're believers. We say we are Members of this great commission. Because just, we, we've been sold a bill of goods growing up. I, I heard it, that it was just about you. The gospel was about you getting over the line. It was never just about you. It was always you getting over the line to go help others, to be part of the team. And so we see that in Paul. Paul was the greatest antagonist of Christians during this time that the Bible was written. There was probably no one greater than Paul in the early church. And yet God took him and made him the greatest ambassador that we, we really know, except for Jesus himself. And so this week we see Paul in Rome and guess what? Within three days, even though he's under house arrest and chained to a praetorian guard, within three days he's sharing the gospel again. He can't stop. Why is it that we struggle so hard to do what it seems like the early church had to do? We, 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 we avoid it. They couldn't do anything but that. And we see it in Paul. He's sharing with these Jewish brothers. And that's, he always started with the Jews. He invites them to come at his request at the end. This is really the end of the first chapter of the early church. When, when, and notice the way Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, the way Luke ends it, it's not really an ending at all. He just tells, he doesn't even tell what happened to Paul. He just kind of leaves Paul there in Rome sharing the gospel. But we know from other letters that Paul wrote that it continued. And you know, just to give you a little background as we look at Acts 28, and we look at this last part, 
Rome is very pagan, very immoral. Nero's the emperor. There's about two million people in Rome at this time. Over a million are slaves. So over half the population is slaves, but the majority, even of those who aren't slaves, are poor. So the vast majority of Rome this time is already in decline. And you're having slave revolts, and, and, and things are really in decline. Very similar, in my mind, to what we're experiencing here. Make no illusion, if you think America is going to somehow do some big turnaround, really, if you think, if you think all you got to do is turn on any news channel, I don't care, liberal, uh, conservative, it doesn't matter, and watch it for about 10 minutes. And you'll see how much in decline we are. And it happens to all cultures. And our culture was founded on biblical principles. And I personally believe that's why God allowed us to flourish the way we did. So we would take that light to the rest of the world. And we've squandered it. We've used it a little bit. But boy, we, we could have continued a lot longer had we only maintained the light as our primary focus. But just like Rome, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're experiencing a lot of the same things they did. And we as the church, we as believers, if we're true followers of Jesus, have the light to be able to share with people in the midst of the darkness. And so what we see in Paul today is the things I want you to take away from this, at least this last section today, is we see in Paul a life of faithful integrity. That word is almost not even used anymore. But in Paul, they could never pin anything on him other than he loved Jesus. How cool would it be if that could be said about you? I can't, we can't find anything wrong with him except he just goes around preaching Jesus. Wow, what a concept. And so that is the first thing we notice even in this text today. Again and again we see they can't find anything because he has a faithful integrity. He knows that it's about godly character. And guys, we're growing up, and I've said this before, there is a growing movement among young, quote, new reforms that says the life you live isn't important. It's just that you know Jesus. He's lived the perfect life for you, so you don't have to do anything. That's a baloney. What kind of people are going to listen to somebody who preaches about hope in Jesus and then lives like the world? Nobody's going to listen to that. And so Paul had a faithful life of integrity, but he also had a faithful, a life of faithful evangelism. He never stopped talking about Jesus. He was either writing somebody, preaching to somebody, sharing personally with somebody, renting out a hall that where they talk about philosophy so he could teach people there about it. He was always looking for ways to share the gospel. What about us? What's the church doing today? We want to grow good marriages. We want to grow good dads. Those things are good, but that is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to promulgate the gospel to the world. And then Jesus comes back. 
That's what we're supposed to be about. Paul understood that. And do you know the disciples, Jesus, I mean, uh, the disciples and Paul lived every day like he was coming back tomorrow. I promise you, if you had some message that you knew God was coming back tomorrow, you'd be sharing Jesus with somebody today. You would. Because that's what we're supposed to be about. It was always to come to him to be equipped, then to go out. And that's what God did with Paul. He did what 1 Peter 2.9 says, You have been delivered out of darkness to go proclaim the excellencies of him to, to the very people that you were delivered out of. And so that's the second thing. He had a life of faithful integrity, a life of faithful evangelism. And third, he had a life of faithful boldness. Boldness marked the men of God. It, it was about godly conviction. Not, oh, I'm going to follow him here, but oh, I, I don't know if I can do it here because that's going to cost me. It could cost me my job. could cost me my family. could cost me my kids. I, 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 can't, I can't address that because it, it, it might cost me. We have stopped being men in the church. And it's time for the men to return. And Paul was a man's man. Paul was a guy, he, he was bold. He was always bold. I mean, how bold is it to sit there with the Praetorian Guard and to be sharing with these guys over and over every day? And, and it says it spread among all of them. This is Paul's life. So those are the three ideas I want you to think about in your own life. What kind of integrity do I have? What kind of heart for evangelism do I have? What kind of boldness am I, am I living? Not what you desire, what's actually happening. And if those things aren't a part of your life, then maybe we need to reflect and say, God, can you change this for me? Because you can't do it on your own. You can't just say, I'm going to be more bold. He's got to do it for you. Paul understood that. And he, in fact, Paul asked people to pray for his boldness, even though he was bold. He wanted to be more bold. And so as we look at the text, we're going to work through 17 through 31 and, and look at each one of these and, and, and kind of talk about the godly character he had, the godly compassion he had. You know, because evangelism is really born out of compassion for people. Uh, if you saw somebody in a building over there, let, let's say you saw like a, 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 let's just say a third grader. And that building was on fire. There's not a guy in this room that wouldn't go over there and try to rescue that child. Our problem is when we see these people who are in burning buildings all around us, we're not moved to go help. We're so consumed with our own stuff. So we need that godly compassion. You know where that comes from? Being connected to him walking with them. It's an overflow of our own love relationship. And then the godly uh, conviction. We need these things. So let's look at the text and then we'll come back. I'm going to read verses 17 through 20 first. I'll take it in sections and look at this life of integrity. Verse 17 says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem 
into the hands of the Romans. Now when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. But because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you, to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. Paul says, and you know, notice Paul doesn't waste any time. Three days, I mean, you got to remember where he's been. He's been on a shipwreck. I mean, he's been, I mean, people wanted to kill him. He got snake bit. He's had all these things happen to him. You'd think, and I know guys in this group feel this way because I've had conversations with them about it. You just want to chill. I just want to get home and chill. And he gets in Rome. You would think he would want to sit there, but he doesn't let anything build up underneath him. He's three days and he says, hey, go get the Jewish leaders and bring them here. And they brought him there. And then he says, brothers, who put him where he is, guys? Who, all these things he's had to go through, who were the people responsible? It was the Jewish leaders. And notice, he doesn't say, you know, start any, he just says, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, he's identifying with them, our fathers, I haven't done anything. I'm innocent. He says, you know, his tradition, by the way, was to go to the Jews. He always went to the Jews first. Why? If he went to Gentiles first, the Jews aren't going to listen to him. If he went to the Gentiles first, the Gentiles didn't know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was God's design that the Jewish people would be the messengers of the gospel. And Paul was also trying to distinguish that Christianity was not a new sect. It was true Judaism. You get that? It's true Judaism. And so he wanted these people to know, hey, you know all the stuff our fathers heard from the prophets and the law from Moses? All those things that they prophesied about the promised one, I've met him. He's real. This is not a new sect. That's what he wanted him to know. He loved his brothers. Romans 9 and uh, verse 1 says, and when Paul writes the Romans, he wrote them three years prior to this. So he's writing the believers in Rome about this. And he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now, why would Paul have to qualify his statement with those statements? Because, because of what he's been through and what people have heard, they would doubt, well, why does he care so much about the Jews? Listen to what he says. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for Christ, so that these, my brothers, my kinsmen in the flesh... Could come in. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I wish, if it were possible, that I could go to hell so that these Jewish brothers would come in. That is an unbelievable passion for lost people. And he's saying, and, and, and he's saying, I haven't done anything against our fathers. This is not something new. 
Over in Romans 10, 1, the chapter later, he says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is they may be saved. He never stopped caring for his people. He was a man who had an unbelievable faithfulness to his integrity of what his calling was and, and the way he lived his life. He would have been, of all people, somebody you could have excused if he didn't love those people anymore. But no. In verse 18, he says, the, the Romans, you know, wish to set me free. But, you know, that the Jewish people turned me over to him. But he goes, there was no cause for a death penalty. Verse 19, he said, in response, I had no charge against my nation. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm not offensive. I'm not trying to level charges at them. All I'm trying to do is show you that I am innocent. I haven't done anything. I'm not offensive in any way. Guys, listen. You better make sure before you preach the message that your life lines up with your message. That does not mean that you need to be perfect, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. But you better not be living one way and preaching another way. I, I think back to two examples of men who had integrity. Uh, Joseph, when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, there was nobody there but the wife of Potiphar and him. She came on to him. Nobody's going to know. And Joseph said, how can I do this thing against God? You see, what we fail to realize a lot of times as men is that when we are alone, we're not alone. God is always there. And you know what's so interesting is we see it in our kids a lot. The same thing when they're teenagers. They think when they're not in your physical presence that you don't know what they're doing. And all of us did what they did so we know, right? If we're honest. And so God's always there. But I think of Joseph as being a man who was faithful in integrity. But you know who else was faithful in his integrity? And it might shock you, David. Because being faithful in integrity doesn't mean you don't blow it sometimes. But being faithful in integrity means when you blow it, you own it. And you come before the Lord and you acknowledge, Lord, I really messed up. And you write out a psalm like Psalm 51 that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Don't take your presence from me. I want you. And David always preached about the mercy of God, the hope in God. And he learned his lesson from Bathsheba because if at the end of his life they brought a woman to keep him warm and it says he didn't touch her. That's a life of integrity right there faithfulness to the end. And Paul lived that life. Well, in verse 20, Paul says, listen, I wanted to talk with you. I'm in chains because of the hope, the suffering and resurrection of Messiah, Jesus of Israel. That's why I'm here. Not because of anything bad I've done. I haven't hurt anybody, although he did murder Christians. But he's not talking about that. The Jews, not, they didn't care about that. Paul didn't steal. 
He lived a life of integrity. And in Acts 23, he talks about the hope and resurrection of the dead. Acts 24, he talks about the hope and God of the resurrection of the just and dead. Uh, and the unjust, I mean, the hope and God of the resurrection of just and unjust. In Acts 26, he says, I'm on trial because of the hope. Do you know where the hope originated from? It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It was, do you know in Isaiah 26, it says in Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, your bodies shall rise. So Isaiah prophesied about resurrection. The Jewish people believed in resurrection, at least the Pharisees did. But what about Daniel 12 too? Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and what? Everlasting contempt. So Daniel prophesied these things. There was a hope for those who put their faith in Yahweh. And his name was Jesus. And Paul said, that's why I'm on trial. Listen, Paul says, I've been faithful to the scriptures. The prophecies, they point to Jesus. The purpose of the law, it reveals sin and a need for Jesus. The pattern of the temple reveals a need for sacrifice and a high priest. And the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes in Him. So that was the hope that Paul talked about when he talks about the hope of God. Do you have that hope? I hope you do. It's only with that kind of hope that you can have a life of godly character, a life of faithful integrity. But Paul did. Well, it goes on in verse 21. Let me read 21 through 24. And they said to him in response to what he's saying, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil of you. Again, there's nothing bad they can say about Paul. Verse 22, But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Everywhere. Verse 23, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So all those preachers, at least in this country, who say you don't need the Old Testament, I think Paul would have a big disagreement with them on that. And some were convinced Verse 24, by what he said, but others disbelieved. Listen, Paul was the consummate evangelist. He had a godly compassion that was on the scale of a Moses. And, and you know, a lot of times we, we forget about Moses' compassion for God's people. You know what happened in Numbers chapter 12? Aaron, Moses' brother, And Miriam, his sister, said, why are you so special? We're just as special as you are. Didn't work out too well for them either. But you know who prayed for him? Moses did. 
that God would heal his sister's leprosy. Because Moses had a compassionate heart. Over in Numbers 14, the people of Israel rebelling, rebelling, and rebelling. Rebelling against Moses. Why'd you bring us out here to die, Moses? We should have stayed in Egypt. Man, they wanted to pick up stones and kill him. And who prayed for them when God disciplined them? Moses interceded for them. When Korah and Abiram and um, uh, Dathan, they raised up this rebellion, 250 men saying, who are you? We're just as holy as you are. And God said, Moses, tell them to go stand over there and you want to get away from them because you ain't going to like to be where they are right now. Because you know what Moses had prayed? He said, Lord, if, if I'm wrong, he told the people, if I'm not really of God, then they're going to die a natural way. But Lord, if they're wrong in their rebellion and what they're doing, do something unique and the ground swallowed them and their families up at that moment. But you know who was interceding for the people? The rest of the people that were left was Moses. Because he was a God of, I mean, he was a, a God's man of compassion. In Exodus 32, 32, he says, Lord, if you won't forgive them, wipe my name out of the book of life. That's very similar to what Paul prayed in Romans 9. These men were compassionate and their compassion came because they spent time with God. The more time you're with God, the more compassionate you're going to be to his people. And so, verse 21, we haven't heard anything about you. Verse 22, we want to hear your views about this Jesus. They were open, by the way. You wonder why that they didn't know about Paul? Well, you got to remember, Paul just left two years earlier. Right? Paul probably was one of the first ships to come over there after he got sentenced to, or after he appealed to go over there. And so they, they probably wouldn't have heard. But what's interesting to me is we're going to see in a minute that nobody ever showed up to bring charges against Paul. Because who were the people bringing charges against Paul? It wasn't the Romans. Romans said we find nothing wrong with him. It was the Jewish leaders. And so... These people, they were open. They said, listen, tell us about this Jesus. We've heard bad reports about him. Can you tell us a little bit about him? And so they picked a time. They came in great morning, uh, great uh, numbers. A lot of people showed up at the, the house with this Praetorian guard. And by the way, every time there was a switch, every six hours, a new Praetorian guard was there hearing what Paul was teaching these people. Because it says from morning to evening, he expounded God's word. You ever wonder why we get upset if pastor goes over an hour expounding the Word of God? I don't think we have the same desire to hear that they hear. They were morning to evening. Could you imagine? Hey guys, we're going to meet at the Salem Center next Wednesday at 7 a.m. And from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., we're going to work through the whole book of Isaiah. All right? And if we don't finish it then, we're going to come back the next Wednesday from 7 to 7. I don't think I'd have a lot of takers on that. I don't. Because we, our mindset is we take, we take God in 15-minute increments, maybe 30 if we're really spiritual. That was not their view. 
Paul expounded the scripture morning and night. This guy was compassionate. He wanted to see these people come in. He was explaining to them the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't tell them God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's all about you. He talked to them what? About the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? He tried to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one. And he told them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God started when? When God gave Abraham the promise, I'm going to give you a land, you're going to be a people, and through you, every family on the earth is going to be blessed. That's part of the, the kingdom of God. And he talked to him about David. The, they said, one of your descendants is going to be on the throne and rule forever. I'm sure he talked to them about Jesus and the apostles. The messages of how to receive the kingdom. Jesus preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. And now Paul preaches repentance. You don't hear a lot about repentance in our gospel today. When people are talking and teaching about the kingdom today, they don't talk a lot about repentance. Why? People don't want to hear that. Because it's just about love. And they don't realize that the love of God given to you comes to you when what? You repent. That repentance is true evidence of faith, like James said. You know, when James says it's not by faith alone, he's not saying it's not by faith alone. He's saying that it's true faith will produce an action. So to say that you really believe something, but then you ask the question, well, if I follow Jesus, does that mean I got to give up, fill in the blank? You don't really understand what it's about. You don't understand the kingdom of God. You're looking for a fire insurance policy. And that's, he was not about that. He was about the kingdom of God. And so Israel rejected. I'm sure he covered that with them. And they knew the people had a long history of rebellion and going against God. They brought the Assyrians down to try to discipline. Then the Babylonians, 400 years of silence. And then Messiah comes on the scene, and now they're rejecting him. And so he says, okay, now you're rejected. He's going to go to the Gentiles. He preached Jesus past, present, and future, guys. Some were convinced, some rejected. And not like it is today. Some reject, some are convinced. But make no mistake, Paul was a faithful evangelist all the way to the very end of his life. And finally, he was a faithful, bold man. He had a life of faithful boldness. He had a godly conviction. And when I think of Paul, I think of, I think of this conviction that says, you know what? I'm in no matter what. I'm in no matter what. There was a guy named Zacchaeus that, that was not very well loved in the Jewish community. But when Zacchaeus really came to the Messiah, you know what? He was all in. And he was only supposed to give him back what he had stolen plus 20%. He said, I'm going to give him back four times as much. Zacchaeus was all in. He was a man of conviction. He was ready to climb that tree. I wonder if we'd climb a tree if Jesus was walking by and we couldn't see him for the crowd. He was. He wanted to see the Messiah. I think of the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, 
You know, he's at the end of his life. You go, well, what does he have to lose? Well, the Romans could make the last few moments of your life very painful. And they're crucifying Jesus, but he didn't care. Hey, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And then he rebukes the other thief. Even though he didn't have a lot of time left, he still had conviction. He was a bold man, and Paul was bold. So what does Paul do with these Jewish people in verses 25 through 27? He quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. 6, 9, and 10. This is the fourth time in Scripture that Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 is used. It was used by Isaiah. It was used in Matthew 13 by Jesus. It was used in John 12 by John. And it's used here by Paul. And you know what it's talking about? I read it. Let me read it real quick. Sorry. Uh, verses 25 through 31. I'll just finish. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen." He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He was a bold man. He says basically in this, this he's talking about judicial blindness. He's saying, listen, you chose not to see, so now you can't see. It's it's willful unbelief turned into sovereign unbelief. And that's what John's talking about when he writes about it. Because John, you know when John quoted it? Was after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John 12. And, And it says still they didn't believe. I mean, my goodness, you see a guy that's been dead for four days raised to life and the one that did it said, I'm the Messiah and you still don't believe? You got problems. And God says, okay, you choose not to believe. Now it's impossible for you to believe. And do you know that even when people choose not to believe, sometimes our preaching is to bring about greater condemnation. Do you know that? Sometimes it's to bring about greater condemnation. Guys, our nation is broken. Our cities are broken. Our families are broken. Our marriages are broken. We're broken. We're all broken people. What if those people who reject um, the things that we preach, what if they're wrong? And there really is an infinite, holy God named Yahweh. Maybe, maybe they should go listen to what he said. Go to his word. Paul says in verse 28, this salvation of God was sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He said it over and over in Acts. He said it in Acts 11 and Acts 13 and in Acts 18. And do you know, uh, by the way, how many Jews are here today? Any, any, Any Jewish people? One guy. All the rest of us are here because the Jews rejected. Have you thanked God for that? 
for his ultimate plan, we forget that. But we're here as believers because of that. God says, <laughs> you know, um, through Moses, through Isaiah, through Jesus, Peter and Paul, all of them, he told Israel what the deal was and they rejected. And because of that, God says, you know what? I'm going to take these pagans. I'm going to build one of the greatest cultures in the world's history because it's going to be built on godly values by people who were not part of the original covenant. And he did that. He did that. Well, verse 30 says, Paul lived there for two years with great freedom. Verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, teaching with boldness and without hindrance. And do you know, while he was there, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. He meets this guy in prison. Hey, what's your name? Onesimus. Don't I know you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're Philemon's servant or slave. What are you doing here? I stole and I ran. I got caught. Well, listen, you remember the first time I met you and those things I was saying? Let's talk about them again. And he starts talking to Onesimus. And Onesimus becomes a believer. And he sends him back to Philemon. And we get a whole book in the Bible because of that. He wrote Ephesians. Jesus is our unity. Philippians, Jesus is our joy. Colossians, Jesus is our completeness. He wrote those while he was in prison, while he was there. And you know what? At the end of Philippians 4.22, he says, All the saints greet you, including those of Caesar's household. (laughs) Some of those people came to Christ because of Paul. Because God used him. He was bold. But... I want to remind you what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 19. He was bold, but he says, listen, pray for me that words will be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly twice in the same verse. He's asking for prayer. If Paul needs to ask for prayer, do you think we might need to ask people to pray for us to be bold? I think so. 2 Timothy 1, Paul said to Timothy when he wrote, 2 Timothy, which he wrote. Paul gets out of prison. He's released after two years. He goes away, and then he's brought back in under Nero. When Nero starts, he goes crazy, brings him, he kills him. And that's when he wrote Titus and First and Second Timothy. But he writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What about you? Do you walk with power or fear? Do you walk with compassion or, or really you're, you're just indifferent? Do you walk with integrity or do you always just try to do things that you think nobody's looking? He's always watching and he calls us to these things. So as we think about uh, how I'm viewed around people around me personally, Is there anything that I'm doing that's bringing dishonor to the name of Christ? When's the last time I shared my testimony? When's the last time I've shared the gospel? If I'm not sharing, why? What keeps me from doing that? 
What am I going to ask God to change in my life to make that different? Or am I just going to be content to, to be the way I am and just hope for the best? Because at least I got my ticket punched. That's not what it's about. What causes me to shrink back from my convictions? I want to close with this little clip from this movie on the Apostle Paul. And it's a powerful scene, and I'm just going to tell you what it's about real quick. Because Paul is at the end of his life. This is in his second uh, time. And he's talking with Luke. Jim Caviezel plays Luke. And I want to just set the scene up. Priscilla and Aquila are here, but when Paul, Paul will see... Uh-oh, wait, wait, just a second. You ain't seeing nothing, are you? It went, it went. Hold on. Pointed at the projector. Thank you. You heard what she said. I didn't. I forgot. There it is. All right. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, hey, um, Jay, run back there and flip those lights off real quick. Now, I've been angry. Listen to this. For two more years, Paul stayed there in Rome, in his own rented villa, no house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about our Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. There, that should make you sound good. What of my second arrest? Of the trial of the forum, you're averting to the darkness of myself. I have begun my telling of these events with Jesus' proclamation to his followers to bear witness for him in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And the story that began in Jerusalem 30 years ago has now come to Rome. So this is the end. Once we're gone, I can't guarantee your safe exit from Rome. Well, you've already done more than enough. I feel that my vision in this work is most important. I guess there are some things in life worth risking. I shall miss you both. Here, Paul says that you would make sure this letter reaches Timothy immediately. Of course. Of course. Do not be afraid. 
dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. people at the end were people he persecuted. It's a powerful scene to me. Um, probably one of the most powerful was when he went up and he took that centurion's arm and then whispered something to him. Made me think of John Monger who prayed for his captors every day he was in prison. And when asked by one of the SWAT guys one time, why didn't you just lie and deny Jesus and get out? He said, because I might be the only witness this person ever sees. How could I deny my Lord in front of them? So, Father, thank you for the reminder of the call on our life to be men of integrity, men who evangelize and men who are bold you have called us to act like men. 
in a world where men have been dismissed, disparaged, and Lord, uh, are shrinking. And so I pray for each man here that this study that we have undertaken for the last two years would not be in vain. Your word is now in us, that it would produce fruit in our life. And Lord, we would go forward as your men, faithfully carrying out the gospel message to those around us until you return. And when you come, or when you bring us home, that every guy in here will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We would be faithful men. And Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, who has not bowed their heart, Lord, draw them today. And if that's you, just right where you are, just tell them, I need you. I want you. I, I, I don't want to play the game anymore. I want to be real in my faith. Just in your own words, tell them that. And Lord, for us who've not shared the gospel because we, we've just been afraid, indifferent, I pray that, Lord, you would forgive us for that and you would embolden us to be men who will think about sharing with people. It will be on our thoughts every day. And we will act on those thoughts and look for opportunities that you bring. I pray for every guy in here, Lord, that in the next few days, he would have an opportunity to share with somebody his testimony. And then the gospel with them. Thank you for the privilege. We love you so much. Amen.